the goal of stillness is not to like feel nice. Nothing wrong with feeling less anxiety and more peace. That's great. But the goal is to make ourselves available to God, to his voice, to his work, because at the end of the day, you know, salvation is his work, not ours. You are listening to the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. In each season, we explore an ancient practice from the way of Jesus and its relevance for the modern era. This is season four, Solitude. Here we are, back together. For those of you listening, my name is John Mark Comer. I'm here with the lovely Bethany Allen. Bethany, you are the pastor for spiritual formation and leadership development at Bridgetown Church. I am. It's a big right? deal. That's still the title? Still doing that, yeah. And I'm also here with Brian Roundsen. Brian, you were a pastor until mm-hmm. very recently here yeah. in Southern California. But just recently, you and your wife, Jenny, started Roots and Embers, which That's is right. in, I think, a similar stream to Practicing the Way. You're working with church teams and pastors to cultivate a kind of culture of spiritual formation yeah, exactly. in community and also with leaders and pastors to transition to the second half of life. Mm. That's exactly right. We need more of that, man. What a know, first half a, of life mm-hmm. culture we live in. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty wild. So really grateful that you're here. We are here to explore the practice of solitude. Mm. And uh, at Practicing the Way, we're in a three-year process of developing these nine practices that together make a rule of life, hence the title of this podcast. And they're all, we chose kind of one word monikers. But when we talk about solitude, really we're talking about solitude and silence Mm -hmm. and stillness. Mm -hmm. And those three kind of solitude, silence, stillness kind of work together and compose one way of being that we see all over the life of Jesus. Mm. So mm. really happy to have both of you as conversation partners. Thank you. For oh, it's really, we're excited to be here. It's an honor. honor. And to all of you listening, thank you for coming wherever you're at, in your car or your morning commute or your bike ride, whatever. Welcome to season four. The Solitude Practice is a four week experience designed to be run in your church, small group, or community. It combines teaching, conversation, and spiritual exercises to introduce you to this ancient discipline for life with God. If you come on the solitude practice, you will not just learn about solitude, you will learn how to practice solitude. The end goal is to integrate solitude more richly into your rule of life so that you can arrange your life around God. The solitude practice is completely free thanks to the generosity of our friends in the circle. Available now at practicingtheway.org. We have some amazing guests lined up for the coming weeks, starting with the one and only John Ortberg next week. Um, But before we get into those interviews, uh, we thought it would be helpful to interview you, John Mark, mm-hmm. and hear a little bit more about the why behind this practice. You know, I think it's a fascinating time to be talking about the practice of solitude. Um, 
as it really seems to be in many ways disappearing from our world, this yeah. discipline. Or disappeared. Yeah, yeah. disappeared yeah. in this just, I mean, it's a noisy world that we're living in. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is a fascinating moment and topic to be entering into. Yeah, I mean, it's not hyperbolic to say, you know, the world is noisier than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. You know, it's less quiet, less solitude than I think ever in human history. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Suzanne Cain in her book, Quiet, writes about the effect of urbanization, you know, with the Industrial Revolution. And we're not talking that long ago, up, up until really 100 years ago, for sure. Really, some argue until World War II, most human beings were farmers hmm. or were at least in small towns or kind of rural villages. And in that landscape kind of life architecture, solitude was just built into yeah. the fabric of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not like necessarily a practice on your rule of life. It was just kind <laughs> yeah. of Tuesday, yeah. you know, if you're a farmer, you're out alone in the field for 10 hours, there's no earbuds, no mm -hmm. radio, mm. no, you know. And community was also built in. And, yeah. and it's funny how with urbanization, it's like we've lost both yeah. solitude and community. Yeah. But she writes about the effect of people moving into cities, especially after World War II, and how it created what she calls the extroverted ideal. And her book isn't mm. about solitude, it's about introversion. And solitude is not a discipline for introverts. We'll come back to that. <laughs> but she writes about how with this new urban culture where all of a sudden now we're surrounded by strangers all of the time. Mm -hmm. And our new work kind of basically means we have to sell ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. Basically, she writes about how now in American culture, you have this extroverted ideal where everybody in public has to act like an extrovert, even if they're introverted. Wow. So the world Jeez. is more extroverted and that's not bad, but that means it's more noisy and mm -hmm. action oriented and talkative and boisterous. Mm -hmm. And again, solitude is not a discipline for introverts. It's just the point there is this has been happening for a century, but of course, as we all know, it just went to 11 with mm -hmm. the digital age. Yeah. It's like now the industrial thing was one epochal change in human history. And now we're in another that our generation is living through with the phone. So Cal, Cal Newport in his book, Digital Minimalism, has a beautiful chapter on solitude, not as a spiritual discipline, just as like a wisdom human habit, need, yeah. yeah, human need. Yeah. And he has this great line where he writes, it is now possible to completely banish solitude from your life. <sighs> and what he means is now, even when we're alone, we're not in solitude. Yeah. Because even when we're not around other people, we're with it's our true. device. And it's so true. we're texting or we're watching oh TV gosh, yeah. or we're doing email mm -hmm. or we're Googling whatever, or we're listening to podcasts or music. <laughs> like we're alone, but we're not in solitude. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Johan Hari, I just read his book, Stolen Focus. Brian, yeah, did you read that? It's an amazing book. Yeah. And mm. Bethany, you got to read it. It's yeah. like one of my favorite books of the year. And he, you know, there's the stat about how many people sleep next to their smartphone. And yeah. it, that number keeps going up, not down. And so his most recent stat, I think it was 87% of people sleep next to their smartphone. Most people check it first thing upon waking. But he had another stat in there I had not read before. I forget the exact number. I think it was in the 20s. The number of people that actually sleep with their smartphone, like in their hand, Yikes. in their bed. And it wasn't like 2%, it was oh my word. much higher. <laughs> So if you're listening oh. and that's you, it just no judgment. <laughs> no judgment. Well, maybe a little bit of judgment, <laughs> but it's not godly A judgment. tiny bit, yeah. but an invitation. Invitation. Uh-huh. My point is, I mean, that's the world we're living in, yeah. now, where people yeah. are literally sleeping with their phone in their hand. Mm. So all that to say, 
the need for solitude, as we'll explore, goes all the way back to the life of mm. Jesus. It's a human need, mm. but it is exacerbated to the nth degree by the world we're living in. Yeah. Okay, well, I say we just jump in. Yeah. So I wanna start uh, with this question. I want to know why this is important. You reflected some of that in what you've just shared yeah, in these the startling numbers you've shared yeah. with us. But just, just as we start, why is this important for us? Well, I mean, I start from the premise that we are apprentices of Jesus. And mm -hmm. if you're listening, mm -hmm. you're either on that spiritual journey or at least interested in it. And solitude and silence and stillness are all over the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the first story pretty much you read about Jesus' work as an adult is about after his baptism, Jesus going into the wilderness mm -hmm. for 40 days. That word wilderness is eremos in Greek, and wilderness is actually a really good translation. Um, sometimes it's translated the desert, but it doesn't necessarily mean like no trees mm. and all sand or the Sahara or whatever. It's also translated the deserted place. Um, other translations are the solitary place mm. or the lonely place, mm -hmm. or one of my favorites is the quiet place. <laughs> And Jesus uh, goes away out into the wilderness where it's quiet, away from all people for 40 days. And then he comes back. And then all through the gospels, you just see Jesus disappear back yeah. there to yeah. the Aramos. And that word is used, it's translated mm -hmm. different ways in our English versions of the Bible, but it's used all over the four gospels. Mm -hmm. Not for 40 days again, but on a, like in Mark's telling of the story, I love it. Jesus goes away for 40 days into the Aramos comes back, then Mark one has this like marathon kind of Jesus first day on the job yeah. as Messiah. And it's, you know, he's healing people until yeah. late at night after the mm -hmm. Sabbath. And then, you know, the end of Mark one, there's this fascinating paragraph where Mark writes, then early in the morning, Jesus got up, went out to, in English, it's a solitary place, but in Greek, it's Aramos. It's the mm -hmm. same word, he goes back to the wilderness goes out to the solitary place where he prayed. And he's there for not 40 days, but he's there for like half a day or mm -hmm. something. And they literally put a search party out for him. Where are you? And I just think that's so interesting. Like if I'm Jesus and I have this marathon day, mm. I'm thinking the next morning I sleep in, mm -hmm. you know, a little pour over. I was gonna yeah. say. Maybe the privilege side brunch yeah, with totally. James and John, not the other ones that are yeah. a little tiring, but James and John, maybe a matinee. The besties. <laughs> Some social media, I don't know. You know, but. <laughs> Not, I mean, literally it goes away for 40 days, yeah. comes mm. back in Mark's kind of literary design, mm. one day goes back again. And so this is just mm. all over the life of Jesus. You know, Luke has this summary. This is Luke 5 verse 16. Jesus often withdrew mm. to lonely places and prayed. Mm. Lonely places, again, that's eremos in Greek. So you just see this all over the life of Jesus. And then if you read church history, pretty much all of the saints sages from every century, every mm -hmm. era, every stream of the church, pretty much except for evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. they, but even then, you know, we have quiet place, quiet time kind of tradition. You just, they all basically sing in chorus that, that solitude is, solitude and silence are, if not the foundation of the spiritual life, that might be an overstatement, but they mm -hmm. are foundational yeah. to yes. the spiritual life. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't say this bluntly because I'm not Henry Nouwen, but Henry Nouwen is Henry Nouwen. <laughs> and I love this line. I quote it whenever I teach on solitude. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Mm. Mm. Just let that sink in. Without this, it is virtually 
impossible mm. to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Mm. And I think, you know, um, evangelicals love to talk about a personal relationship with Jesus or recent kind of languages, intimacy with God. And I actually love that language. But, you know, I just think about my own marriage. Can you imagine like a healthy marriage where you were never alone together, yeah. ever? You know, you were always with other people or always in public or always around noise. Mm. I think anybody would say, no, you can't, you literally can't yeah. have an intimate, healthy relationship if you're never alone. Mm. Um, and the same is true on the community side. You can't have a healthy relationship if you're always alone, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's a back and forth that you see in the life of Jesus. But I think a lot of people are trying to find an intimate relationship with God without ever going into solitude. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And it, it just it just doesn't work. You mm. just cannot, it cannot be done. And so people live with this sense of felt distance from God. And I'm not saying solitude is some rubber bullet, you know, silver bullet solution where you just go into solitude and now you're good. But man, you, you cannot experience it mm. without. Mother Teresa, who's just so beautiful on this, has that line, we need to find God and he cannot be found in noise mm. and restlessness. God is the friend mm. of silence. Mm. Mm. I love that language of friendship, even what you're talking about with the intimacy between you and your partner and the solitude creates that space, the personal time. But I think what I'm hearing is there's a distinction that you're making between being alone and being in solitude. Say more about that. Absolutely, thank you for pointing that out, it's crucial. Um, so I had help when we were, this podcast is companion to a four week solitude practice that yeah. mm -hmm. has just come out. And I had help from these research professors and I asked them, hey, can you just teach mm -hmm. me more about a few things? I wanted to learn about noise pollution and its effect on the nervous system and the body. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn about um, just a couple of things. And one thing I found really interesting was that when social scientists study solitude, they have to distinguish between solitude and aloneness. So mm -hmm. if you're a secular social scientist, you're a research professor, solitude is not aloneness. You have to separate mm -hmm. them because of what we said before, like yeah. you can be alone, yeah. but you're, you're not really alone. You're on your phone, your brain is full of distraction. You know, So um, Cal Newport, again, he defines solitude as a place that is free of all inputs. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting yeah. rubric to think about it through where mm -hmm. your only inputs are God, mm -hmm. who has direct access to your mind and imagination, your heart, your body by the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. if you're a follower of Jesus, and your own heart, yeah. just what's, whatever's coming up from within you. Wow. Yeah. That solitude where you are mm -hmm. there with God, with your own self and no other inputs. But lots of people are alone and their mind is jammed with other inputs through their device or the internet or a book mm -hmm. or even scripture, or what, which is beautiful, we're very much for scripture. Mm. But I think this is really important because what I think a lot of people get wrong is they think of solitude as a spiritual discipline for introverts. Mm -hmm. And this is a tragedy for extroverts mm -hmm. because they never experience this whole crucial dimension of Christian spirituality, mm -hmm. this foundational practice. Yeah. And it's a tragedy for us introverts too. Because, I mean, you know, the enemy, both the evil one and our own broken body and flesh is always warping. We're always living in orbital decay, right? From mm -hmm. God's intention. 
And I think what happens with solitude is we might start out like, hey, I really want to go into solitude to encounter God. But it's just for us introverts, it so easily becomes like a little me time for yeah. dad. You know, yeah. like I have teenagers and it's stressful <laughs> and my job and I live in a city and I just, <gasps> I need some time, you know? And that's not my, that's not like the spirit. That's just my introversion, yeah. that's my yes. personality preference. Mm. And that's tragic because, the, you know, all of the spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. The end is to become a person of love, which yeah. is self-sacrifice and surrender. So there's a type of solitude that does nothing but deepen our bondage to narcissism. Yeah. yeah. When really we should not be in solitude, we should be making right. breakfast for our kids before they go to school, mm. so not good. having four hour devotions, you yeah. know? So this is a great tragedy. Solitude is not aloneness. And when social st scientists study solitude and they distinguish it from aloneness this was fascinating to me they find that there is no more preference for desire for or enjoyment of solitude whether you're an introvert or an extrovert so once you wow. once you separate it from a like it, we introverts yeah. we love to be alone totally like, just give me a night by myself <laughs> let me just go read a novel do some poetry hey i'm a compulsive extrovert and i still need to be alone it's yeah. done yeah i'm a compulsive introvert and i <laughs> always want to be alive, <laughs> but, but you know, um, once you separate, I want that, but once you actually put mm. people into solitude, no other inputs, just you before God, mm. it does not matter. You do not, your enjoyment of it, your desire for this practice has nothing to do wow. with where you fall yeah. in the introvert extrovert spectrum. This again, this is social science, not my opinion. Yeah. It has to do with where you fall on the spiritual journey wow. and where you are and how you are experiencing God. Wow. It's like a level playing field. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, so I, I love that idea, Cal Newport's idea of it being a, a place free from inputs. Mm -hmm. And even that sociology, sociological study that you're talking about is really significant. But what's your working definition of solitude? Yeah. I mean, I don't have like a brilliant one. I just, you know, Bethany, when we did that teaching series on it years ago, <laughs> I think we just used the definition of intentional time in the quiet mm. yeah. to be with yourself and God. And that's the, those are the two inputs, yourself, meaning, and well, I think we'll explore that with you, Bethany, in a few mm -hmm. weeks, but what's coming up inside you from, yeah. you know, your heart in biblical language and God. And uh, this again is different than how a lot of us think of solitude as like, I'm gonna go be alone and read a bunch of Christian books or whatever. So yeah, more input. I, I, yeah, more yeah, input. Yeah. And again, I'm very much for Christian books. I write Christian books, but um, you know, my practice of solitude changed a lot about two years ago. I did this 21 day solitude retreat. I remember that. And it was like one, I thought I would crush it. I'm like, man, I, I, a, I do a lot of solitude. I spend a lot of time in solitude. I do yeah. a monthly retreat for a day, I do an annual retreat, I'm an introvert. You know, I thought, man, I'm, we're not, there's no grade at the end of it, but I'm like, I'm, You're gonna, get an I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna a win. Solid, I'm a, yeah, you okay. know, summa cum laude for the solitude <laughs> retreat. And it, I, it was harrowing. I mean, I mm. barely survived this yeah. thing. Mm. And it was with, guided with a clinical psychologist. But, you know, they had a bunch of rules. So it was like, you no know, phone, like you literally turn in your devices. Um, no alcohol, no more than one cup of coffee a day. But one of the rules Ooh, was- that might be the hardest. Yes, that was brutal. <laughs> but one of the rules was no books. And even like the Bible was quote, allowed. Mm. And they're not against the Bible, but they said, be careful not to use it as a distraction. Yeah. Mm. And when I first heard that, I was like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. And I asked him, the clinical psychologist who kind of 
oversees the program. Why, why, why no books? Like I normally in solitude, I do spiritual reading. I love reading. It's a big part of my yeah. life with Jesus. And he had this great line. He said, the desert, he said, this is our, our attempt to recreate the experience of Jesus in the desert or Moses mm. in the desert or Elijah, but pretty much all of the great ones in yeah. the desert. Mm. And he said, the desert teaches by taking away. Mm. And I've just been thinking about that. Oh. You know, we're used to learning by addition. Yeah. Like, here's a book, here's a podcast. Let mm. us give you new information yeah. about the practice of solitude or whatever. A sermon, a mm. book, yeah. a podcast, a class, a course. And that's all good. That's actually crucial. Mm -hmm. But the desert teaches by, by stripping away. Mm. And, and think about the desert itself, like the literal desert. Yeah. Where it's just barren and you hear things for you know, a mile because mm -hmm. sound travels so far in the yeah. desert and you notice minute detail that you would never catch in the mm. fecundancy of a Pacific Northwest forest, you know? <laughs> and um, so that, that's what solitude is. It's, mm. it's stripping yourself down of all other inputs and going into the Aramos to be with yourself and with God. Mm. You know, I, even as you're speaking, you're helping me come to real, realize that I think when I was young and starting to practice this in my twenties, my biggest escaping of solitude was people. Mm -hmm. Like it just was so, as an extrovert, it's the easiest way to avoid the confrontation of self, everything mm -hmm. that you're talking about. But as I've gotten older, as life has changed. You're saying people became in a, in a sense like your coping mechanism. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, for just the stuff I, that you're running away from. I had from. so many yes. things, yeah. And even, you know, I wouldn't have named it that then. But as I've gotten older and as life changed, young kids, all the things, it's a hundred percent information that is my biggest obstacle to genuine solitude. Wow! And you, when you have a down moment, yeah, oh yeah, it's it's podcast, it's audiobook, it's reading, it's the Bible, it's something that because it there's a even if there's distance and quiet in myself, if there's distance from other other things, there is still something that feels this nagging sense of mm. efficiency, yes, or pragmatism mm -hmm. as well as avoidance. I, I think like you're probably doing something. Yeah, yeah, because it's so count so contrary. Is like oh. a not doing. It is it's yeah. a discipline of abstinence. As yeah, we it's it. so difficult. As you said, for all those reasons, all the noise, all the demands, and it just is the opposite. It's like social inertia. Mm. It's like you're going so fast. You don't yes. want to slow down. The hardest thing is actually go to the opposite. It's kind of coming out of vacation. Yes. You've slowed down so much. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get back up to it. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's the challenge that you, mm. you named. Uh, that 21 day retreat sounds wild. Yeah. Um, but thank you for sharing. Do not try this at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Put that tagline, <laughs> caution. But I think what's interesting is you, you just named solitude so well, but we are, we're also including these other things. And I know it's not, hard, it's not easy to, to separate them necessarily. But what about stillness and what about silence and how that plays into the solitude conversation? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, solitude is a, it's tied, it's in tandem to silence. And yeah. I think when we talk about the practice or the spiritual discipline of solitude and silence, there are two dimensions to silence. One is the external silence, like you mm. wanna get your body and your nervous system away from noise. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's a helpful definition, helpful just, you know, clarification here, because when you go out, for example, into nature, which is where Jesus did all of his solitude, it was not in a sensory deprivation chamber. <laughs> yeah. It was like out in Judea or in the yeah. Negev. Um, there's actually sound, there's birds and there's yeah. wind and there's trees and there's, you know, rocks and the wind. 
And uh, so noise, social scientists define as unwanted sound. Yeah. Mm, so music is not noise, mm. unless if it's like Metallica and you're me, then it's noise, mm. but whatever. For other people, that's music, you know? So noise is unwanted sound. It's the mm. Amazon delivery truck blaring mm. past you when you're, wow. you know, drinking your coffee in the morning or whatever. So silence is about, you know, the si external silence is about quieting that noise basically mm -hmm. getting yourself to a spot that is literally quiet so a lot of times people want to allegorize yeah silence mm -hmm. and solitude yeah. like yeah i totally did silence and solitude at the coffee shop the yeah. other day i just put in my <laughs> noise canceling headphones and i put on that yeah. new record by uh -huh. laney and yeah. i just like read a great book and it was just amazing That's time funny. of silence and solitude and i'm like uh you know or people want to like so you can be in a crowd and be in solitude like just yeah. you and god as you're walking through <laughs> manhattan i'm just like no you are that is such non-incarnational thinking. Yeah. And I love the heart behind that, but we are incarnated, we are embodied, we have yeah. a nervous system, we have a brain, mm. we have senses that interact with the world around us. And so this is an embodied, is why we don't call them spiritual disciplines because yeah. they're that word, it's not bad language, but it's not New Testament language. And most people think spiritual means like disembodied, which is not yeah. what it means in the New Testament, no. but it is what it means in pop language. So that these are embodied practices. Yeah. So I think the first dimension of silence is just getting somewhere quiet. And then the second dimension that is 10 times harder for most of us yeah. is like interior silence yeah. where you attempt to quiet the brain. I mean, that's the problem is like an hour in silence may be the noisiest hour of your yes. life yeah. because your brain just does not turn off. And yeah. often it takes that chance to just like freak out and yeah. scream and whether it's like fear or anger or resentment stuff that we'll talk about soon or just like squirrel, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Just like yeah. distraction. To do list. So yeah. getting to a place of inner quiet. And that's mm. why, you know, you could just call it solitude and silence. I like to put together silence solitude and stillness yeah mm. and stillness is like coming you know i think of this place we go camping every summer in eastern oregon that's on this lake it's this kind of really not very large lake but this beautiful place nobody's ever there and just that feeling when you wake up in the morning and mm. the lake is just like mm. glass and then by the end of the day the wind picks up and mm. it's just agitated yeah. and it's choppy but in the morning like mm. that there's nothing like a lake that's just mm smooth, you know? And I think that's a good word picture for what we're want, the place that we're wanting to come to and, and honestly rarely get to in my own practice of this, mm. but that's like the telos coming, yeah. Yeah. coming to that place of stillness. Um, you know, Bethany, remember when we did that series on it, we used, I went up to a Creek and Forest Park <laughs> and I filled up like a yeah. mason jar kind of thing, glass, jar of just creek water yep. and I just set it on the stage when I was teaching on this and I just shook it up and, yep. and just set it there. And you just watch, yeah. you know, cause all the sediment, it's swirling, totally. it's muddy, it's dirty, it's yeah. green. Yep. And then it takes a long time. It's like yeah. toward the end time. of like a 45 minute yep. teaching, you get this thing where all the sediment has fallen to the bottom mm. and the whole rest of the top is clear yeah. and still. Yeah. Mm. And I think that again is a word picture for what we're wanting to see happen mm. on the inside yeah. and in our mind when we mm. go into solitude. It's almost like a byproduct of the posturing of the other two. Yeah. It's the outcome internally 
rather than the practice. We, it's almost like you're saying you don't, you can't practice stillness. It's almost the byproduct of the other two. Yes. They come together in tangent. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good way. That's, that's helpful insight. Yes, there to get us there. And then there, stillness yeah. is still a means to an end. Yes. I think it's in that place of stillness that we are most capable of receiving God's voice yeah. and yes. God's work in our inner woman or man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the more agitated we are, mm -hmm. the more distracted yes. we are, the more hurried we are, the less our spirit is able to absorb yeah. mm -hmm. both God's speaking voice, but also really the intimations of his spirit, you know? And yeah. really, I mean, that's one way, uh, I was reading Father Jacques Philippe yesterday and he basically said the, the foundational question of Christian discipleship is how do I make myself more available to the yeah. work of grace? Yeah. yeah. Like, what do I, that's what the practices are all about. What that's do I it. need to do with my body, with my money, with my time, with my yeah. decisions, with my habits? How do I open up more and more layers of my life to grace? Because we don't self save, you yeah. know? And yeah. so that's where the goal of stillness is not to like, feel nice yeah yeah nothing wrong with feeling less anxiety and more peace that's great yeah but the goal is to make ourselves available to god to yeah. his voice to his work because at the end of the day you know salvation is his work mm -hmm. not ours i i can turn yeah. off my phone and go spend an hour in prayer but i can't I can't even bring myself to stillness much less save myself yeah you know yeah it feels like the, that moment or that place is where the things that we know consciously, I am the beloved, all those, all the things that we might tell ourselves, we know we can, we can ascribe to, it's almost like they have this magnifying place in that stillness. It's like mm -hmm. that openness just opens up and what we know that we know actually becomes what we experience that we know in yes. that stillness. Mm -hmm. And I love that language in the Psalms. You're saying you're moved from the idea of yeah. spirituality it's like to until the you experience. Have that, what you're talking, what you just defined in that moment of stillness is like where those things become real to us. Yes. Not just hopes or ideals and things that we capture throughout the day, but we don't really, it's like that, they just something they anchor more deeply. And I love that image of stillness. Just the Ephesians, like that you may know yes. the love of Christ yes. that passes knowledge. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, um, and correct me, my Hebrew is not great, but Rafa. I will not correct you. Rafa, I will. So be still, tuned. like be still and know that I'm God. Mm -hmm. The word means to sink down. So there's something mm. about that, like coming to a deeper place than we can normally. And that's the place of the wow. Holy Spirit, what you're talking about. Whereas like, that's where friendship can emerge and doesn't live on the surface. It lives deeply within us. It's like that old Quaker saying, mm. uh, centering down. Yes. Mm. Oh, I love they, that. That's what prayer was about for them. They said, it's about centering yeah. down. And that was their language yeah. for exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Coming like to the base of your soul, to yeah. that place of stillness, yeah. you know? And I love that your eyes are, you're, you're holding your eyes on that. Like, this is about, can we come to know his love? Can we take more of his love in and be in union with him? Yeah. yeah. Nothing else. Yeah, I mean like the the Hollywood trope of like, you know, inner peace yeah, yeah. and like the martial arts master or yeah. the person on top of the mountain. Yeah. That, that there's truth in that, Yeah, you know? Yeah. But in Christian spirituality, again, it's not just to feel better yeah you know and um it's it's to really come to this place of you mm. know what ancients would have called union with god yeah but i love what you're saying it's it's like the difference between i was with ron rollheiser recently and and he was talking about no the difference between he's an academic but the discipline of 
You were there too. Yes, yeah. we were there together. I loved his thing on the the difference between theology and spirituality. Oh, it's a great distinction. And his analogy was like in sports, he's like theology is the help me here, but yeah. he's like theology is the rules it's of the it. game. Yep. Mm. So like when we talk about theology, biblical yep. doctrine, these are the rules of the game. It's yeah. how you play the game. But spirituality is yeah. the game itself. Yeah. Mm. And so both are important. You can't play the game yeah. without the game rules, you know. I can't remember if it was him that said that, but I love the the maybe the same conversation where he said that that um, that theology sets the expectations, but it will not fulfill them. Yeah. Mm. Like it sets our expectations for life with God, but it cannot fulfill that life with God. Mm. And that is like such a just rich importance. Like we need both. Yeah, I mean, one of the, you know, I'm learning a lot and uh, because people listen to this podcast from a wide swath of the church, yeah. mm -hmm. you discover like, oh, there are trigger words I don't know about, mm -hmm. you know? And so one word I found that is emotionally loaded for a lot of people is this word mystic. Mm. And because um, I, I think of mysticism as yeah. like central to Christian spirituality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think what I mean by that is not what people fear. Yeah. You know, my, you know, Carl Rayner had that great line a few decades ago. He said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or they will not exist at all. Yeah. And, but what we mean by mystic is not some weird, you know, heteroorthodox thing. A mystic in the Christian tradition is just someone who wants to experience spiritually what is true of them theologically. Mm, that's a great you definition. Know? So it's yeah. not yeah. enough to wow. read the New Testament, read Paul and like read a systematic theology of the doctrine of incorporation, which mm. is the academic word for Paul's theology of in Christ. You are in Christ. Mm. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, mm. Colossians, yeah. you know? Um, the mystery of the gospel. Yeah. That's a beautiful idea, but there, there's an inner mystic in the good sense of that word where, man, we want to actually live that yeah. reality. Yeah. Not just like read about it or yeah. hear about it, but experience it. And I, I think this is central because if the telos is to become a person of love, mm. you know, as a general rule, and you're better versed in psychology than I am, Brian, but we become more loving by experiencing love, yeah. not by learning about it. Yeah. You know, so like we are loving at some level to the degree that we have been yeah. uh -huh. loved. Yeah, we are loved into loving as my friend Todd will say, I just love that. That's yeah. the more we consume of God's love, the more loving becomes a part of who we are. Hmm. I just wanna name this one part of this because even as you, you two are talking, I keep thinking about the posture of stillness is the opening to receive it. Mm. You know, we're talking about experiencing it, but when you get to that place of stillness, it's going back to this concept of love is yeah. you're actually free to receive what's yeah. being given yeah. at that point, but you're not yeah. as you're moving in that direction. Yeah. So it's experiential, but it's also because you cannot generate it yourself. Yeah. You have to receive it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's, I think, one of the things that's so humbling about it Yes, and hard is like, you're not in control. Yeah. You may go into solitude and have a life-changing encounter with God. You may go and just hear crickets and feel mm. farther away from God than when you started. <laughs> yeah. yes. it's, there's no like formula here. Yeah. It's yeah. not like habit stacking your way to spiritual yes. life. Right. That's you know? so good. That's a I'm great all for reminder. habit stacking, but <laughs> yeah. that's not how the spiritual disciplines work. James yeah. Clear was great. Yeah. I love his book, but yeah. that's not how this works. And yeah, I mean, I could not, you just, you're stripped. You yeah. come yeah. in your spiritual poverty and just, okay, God, I, here I am. Yeah. yeah, and 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 how you actually are is exposed, but that's why I think the two greatest conduits for experiencing the mm. love of God are deep relationships with other people. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is where we get wounded, but yep. it's also where we experience love mm. and solitude. Yeah, yeah, you know, but solitude it can't just be. I go 
for a lone day and I read a bunch of books. Yeah. It has to, you have to like actually sit there yeah. and let the Holy Spirit pour the love of Christ yes. from the Father into the depth of your being. Mm. Mm. Hello, my name is Dusty. I'm from South Dakota and I'm a homeschooling mom of two teenagers, a worship leader in our local church, and I have my own small business. For me, the practice of silence, solitude, stillness has been something that I've been at work on in my own life for probably the last year. And the main thing that I have learned through this practice is trust. I am a doer. I like to make things happen. And this practice is not easy when you are a doer. And I have learned that the practice of solitude is an act of giving up control and learning to rest and trust my Father's provision. I found that when I still myself and quiet the voices around me and in me, I begin to hear His voice in ways I never had previously. Okay, so people listening, there's no way that they could hear what you've just shared and not think this practice feels like one of the most important important practices we could do on our journey with Jesus. If this is the place where true transformation can happen, Jesus coming to us and doing in us what we couldn't do for ourselves, um, sounds like a pretty big deal. So is that true for you? Would you say this is one of the most important of all the practices that we could lean into? Oh, yes. I mean, certainly. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I think, you know, there are different ways to categorize the practices of Jesus. Yeah. So we have them in nine, you know, uh, Adele Calhoun with 69 or something yeah. like that, you know? And so it's just, it's just a matter of like, how do you, how do you, how do you cut break the pot? Down. Yeah. yeah. But you could argue there's just two practices, yeah. solitude and community. Yeah. yeah. Because in a sense, those two practices are like the containers yeah. for yeah. all of the other, I mean, name Sabbath to yeah. worship, right. to the Lord's Supper, to right. scripture, yeah. pretty much to service, to, they pretty much all happen either in solitude or in community. Yeah. And I think these are just the two most important practices, mm -hmm. you know, because without them, it, it's like you, you, I've been back to the marriage analogy. Imagine if you were never alone together or always alone together, either yeah. way it would be really toxic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have this need for both solitude and for community. The, the crazy thing, you know, Sherry Turkle of MIT has that beautiful phrase about Gen Z and just, which is all of us now in the digital age, mm -hmm. um, alone together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How in the modern world, it's like we never really go into community or solitude. Mm -hmm. We're never really alone and we're never really in community. We're around people all the time. Mm -hmm. We're online all the okay. time, which has this like illusion, you know, that connectivity is the same thing as community, which yeah. it is absolutely not. The more time you spend on social media, the less in community you are just as a general stat. Yeah. And so we're often like with other people, but we're not really vulnerable. We're on our phone, we're distracted, yeah. we're on our guard, we have defense mechanisms. We don't know how to be emotionally vulnerable with people or we're alone, but we're not in solitude. We're on our phone, <laughs> we're, you know, distracting yeah. ourselves into spiritual oblivion as Rollheiser says. So yes, that's a long way of saying Bethany. Mm. I absolutely think it's essential. Yeah. Well then if, I mean, we're making a pretty compelling case like you just said. Yeah. But then why why do so many of us, even with all the statistics and understanding, those who've read books on it, why do so many of us avoid solitude as mm. a practice? Mm. You know what comes to mind? Uh, my oldest son, Jude, he's 17, but I don't know, a year ago or so, we were on a 
camping trip. It was like a men, like a man night around <laughs> the fire thing. It's a man, yeah. man night. I had to, I had to oh. say it like that. So part of this thing we do called the Primal Path. And um, we like to do, even with our family, we're going to have a Sabbath dinner after yeah. this tonight. We'll do it tonight. We like to do like a table question, like a, yeah. you know, to have a more meaningful conversation around the mm -hmm. table. So our question that night, I think it was around the fire, was what do you most fear? Mm. So we go around, we're hearing, you know, people's deepest fears, which is a, an interesting mm. conversation. Gets to my son and he's quiet for a minute. And he says, my deepest fear is solitude and silence. Wow. Mm. And then he said, I am terrified yeah. of being alone with my thoughts. Mm. And then he was, he was self aware enough to say, that's why I always have music on. Ooh. You know, he's a musician who loves mm -hmm. music. Yeah. He's like, that's why I always have music on. Yeah. I'm always with people. And he, he's like, people think I'm just an extrovert and I love music and I am, but he's like, I'm, that's my, I'm terrified. Mm. And I really appreciated his insight and honesty. I think that's how a lot of people feel. Yeah. Re again, regardless of where they fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we built this practice, there's four weeks to the practice. So week one's kind of an intro to the practice and the Ramos and the life of Jesus. But then the next three weeks we built around, I was really impacted by Nouwen's quote um, in his book, The Way of the Heart, which is mm. like, the best, yeah. I think the my best. favorite Nouwen book. Yeah. It's short, if you've not read it, it's not long, it's beautifully written. It's kind of a translation of the desert yeah. tradition mm -hmm. yeah. um, for the modern era, it's beautiful. But he has this beautiful line in his chapter on solitude where he writes, and I've, I was really convicted by this as an introvert, he writes, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Yeah. And then he goes on, it is the place of encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Where the old self dies and the new self is born. Mm. Yeah. So I just thought about that, you know, again, introvert, I was convicted by that. Orbital decay, I quickly <laughs> turned solitude into like dad's alone time, you know, yeah. which is not <laughs> the spiritual discipline, <laughs> not becoming a person of love that way. And, uh, but so we kind of built the practice around these three encounters mm. that you experience often in solitude an encounter with ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is like kind of our emotional life, which mm. is often actually it's the negative emotions, yeah. you know? I don't mean that, but you're a psychologist listening. You're like, there are no negative emotions. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The ones that are not pleasant. Survival emotions. Yeah, yeah. survival yeah, emotions. Um, I know they're all useful and all helpful, but the, the negative ones, the ones that are unpleasant, often are the first thing to come up. So we'll talk about that with Bethany in two weeks. But um, also an encounter with our enemies, and we'll mm. explore this later, like mm. very counterintuitive for a modern Christian, but for Jesus, for the Desert Fathers, for much of Celtic spirituality, you go into the desert or you go into the quiet place to fight demonic beings yeah. mm. and to get free of demonic voices in your head and yeah. to expose them and overcome demonic mm. evil. Whole dimension of this practice so that's good. like off the radar for most modern people. Yeah. And then finally an encounter with God. Yeah. And that's the one that is most intuitive. Like, yes, I go into the quiet to encounter God. Yeah. But what we often, I think, intuit at a subconscious level is when I go out there, God's probably not going to be the only thing I encounter. Mm -hmm. Probably going to encounter my anger, my dad, or the, right. I hurt feelings over what happened with a coworker three yeah. days ago, mm -hmm. or this incredible shame I feel over my past or my body or yeah. my mm -hmm. history or what, you know, whatever. And all of this stuff comes up and that's beautiful. We'll talk mm -hmm. about how crucial this is to our yeah. healing. 
But I think that's why we avoid it, you know. Not to mention, it's just really hard to ever be alone. Yeah. It's just hard. Modern like, life is designed. Yes, modern life yeah, is designed totally. to make it hard for you to be in the quiet. Yeah. Um, but even if we all of a sudden were single or Amish or a monk and we're out living in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> I think we would still find it yes. scary. And we'd still be using distraction, you know, work, busyness, something. Because mm -hmm. mm. I think there's some deep primal fear but what we most fear, I think, holds the secret to our, our healing and our liberation. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I think I love Mulholland has that idea of postures. Um, mm. And he, I mean, his great invitation is that the entire premise of solitude is actually, it's about getting rid of the control that you carry yes. everything, the grasping, clawing, protective mechanisms that we all have. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't you have, have none those. of those. Not, especially not with my personality, yeah. not at all. <laughs> and, uh, but then he says, and then once that has given up silence, he would say the posture of silence is actually confronting, or maybe it's inverse, but is confronting the real self. It's, yes. And he uses that image of Jacob, where Jacob is, has none of his things, none of his family, none of his, and he has his brother on the other side of the river. And he, and he would not confront, he could not come to the place where he says, I am the heel grabber. Mm. If he were not alone in that space, away from all of the ways that he managed wow. and protected yeah. himself. And that image has been really crucial because it's been a part of my own story. Of like mm. the and the image that, of Jacob wrestling. Yeah, the wrestling with, with God, right? Yes. But in that, the discovery of the real self, the first time he names who he really is, is in that wrestling. Wow. Cause the first time he says his name, he says he's his brother. Mm -hmm. And then the first time he says who he really is at the core level, I am the heel grasper is when he is finally alone with none of his capacity to protect himself. Practicing the way is a crowdfunded nonprofit made possible by the circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Peter, living in Bristol in the UK, and I'm part of this community. Practicing the way has shown me how to resist the deformation of the modern world and experience more of the life of Jesus in my personal context and stage of life. To join myself and others in the circle or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org forward slash give. Okay, so we've talked about really broad sweeping, brilliant yeah. ideas. Um, I want to bring it down yeah. just to the practical. Yeah, this is not a theory. It's a practice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so much of this is an in re deeply integrated practice. So for those of us who are just trying to sort this out in our head, we're just trying to get it at a, at a ground level. What's a way to begin yeah. just to even enter in, to start moving towards this? Where do we, where do we start? Yeah, I mean, we all have a different starting place. You may already have this practice in your life. And so for you, as you're listening, it's like, okay, what's the growth edge for you? Yeah. Or this may be like, I think most modern people, like pretty much non-existent in your life. Hmm. And so if you're on the the kind of, man, this is not a part of my life. I just think starts, I just as a general rule with spiritual practices, start small, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the tiny habits yes. idea. Start, <laughs> do not overreach. Yeah. Just have a real spiritual realism about you. And so don't go do a 21 day solitary <laughs> retreat if you've never <laughs> been alone. Do a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Deep plunge. Yes, exactly. That is, that is exactly. It's going from, I've never <laughs> run to the marathon, oh, you know? Uh, so just, I, I mean, just start, 
change the morning arrangement. If you're mm. part of the 87% of people that sleep next to their phone, again, this is just wisdom. This is not, I think it's wisdom. It's definitely not biblical imperative, but I would highly encourage you mm. buy an old school alarm clock or find mm. one from back in the day that's in your closet somewhere, <laughs> put your phone away in another room, uh, parent your phone, put it just like if you had little kids, put it to bed before you go to bed so you have some space and then wake up to an alarm clock and before you touch your phone, whether this is an hour or three minutes, yeah, just sit in the quiet with God. Mm. Whether you just breathe or I like to breathe and I always read a Psalm. Mm. I just, the Psalms are basically my lectionary. They're mm -hmm. how I pray. Mm -hmm. They're my pathway to God most days. And just whether it's for a few minutes, whether you sit and breathe for a bit, or you pray out loud to God, or you read scripture, or just pause. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian, I remember you saying to me, you know, as you have little kids, sometimes, you know, you wake up to a baby crying and you're not gonna have an hour of like yeah. contemplation and yep. reading Henry Nouwen. That's not, going, that's not how your day is going to start. It's gonna start yep. with feeding and, you know. And I remember you saying that sometimes you just, as the baby's crying, you just recite, your head is still on the pillow, mm -hmm. Psalm 23 in your mind. Yeah. And you let that be your beginning, you yeah. know? So that might be the beginning for you. Just, yeah. you know, it's such a simple, beautiful, easy. So again, the morning might not be the best time for you with your personality or your chronotype or your work yeah. schedule. <laughs> That's a thing. Um, great, so do it at <laughs> night before bed or do it on your lunch break, whatever. You know, wherever is the best place for you. For most people, the best place to move towards stillness is first thing in the morning hmm. after sleeping. But it might not be. And neuroscientists talk a lot about the importance of what we do with our mind right before yeah. we sleep and right mm -hmm. after we yeah, sleep. Absolutely. Disproportionate impact on your, not just mental health, but on the, the neuroplasticity of your brain's yeah. development, yeah. The, the kind of mind that you develop over time. Mm. Could not imagine a worse way to deform your, a better way to deform your mind than to begin your day with like the site formerly known as Twitter and the news <laughs> and social media and email and, yeah. you know. Yeah. And Psalm 23 and the presence of peace of God is a, mm. is a beautiful place to begin. Yeah. For those of you that are interested in doing more, again, we do have this practice out that goes yeah. week by week yeah. with all sorts of pragmatic, like great all sorts of stuff, really writing, helped. teaching, tons of, it's a practice, it's there for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you for listening. And thank you in particular to The Circle for your generosity, which made this podcast yeah. even possible. The Circle is a group of over a thousand people from around the world who give monthly to Practicing the Way to see formation integrated into the church at large. It's amazing. Wow. Thank you. Now we'll be back next week with a conversation with John Ortberg. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we're a new podcast, so please help spread the word to your friends and family. And may you find God in both the noise of your daily life, but also in the quiet.